So good morning listeners and welcome to Sacred Space 102 FM, which is a Common Sea Inspirations production being produced here in our Common Sea studio here in Arda. And it's the 30th of August. It's the 32nd, it's the 22nd, in fact, Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is John Kelly, and help me to produce the programme this morning, present the programme. First of all, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping this morning? Very good, Shane. But a very special guest joining us this morning. Lorraine Buckley, good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, John. Good morning, Shane. Good morning, listeners from... And of course, we do oh, want to especially you, welcome, as usual, our listeners who are housebound, lonely and struggling in some way. And our listeners who support us each week, and thank you indeed so much for supporting us in the best way possible, which is by prayer. Thank you so much for that. Just a reminder again, our programme is broadcast at West Limit 102 FM at 10am. It's Sunday morning. And for these times, we include Mass being broadcast from Abbeyfield Parish um, at 10am every Sunday morning. 11pm is when we actually broadcast this particular recording. So 11pm only at the moment. But a podcast of this uh, of this record of this recording uh, can be obtained at commonseeinspirations.buzzspread.com. That's a podcast station. Just Google Common Sea Inspirations. You'll find us there. Uh, we can be also found on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. You can contact us as usual if you wish by texting us at 087-6088-667 or email commonseeinspirations at gmail.com and as usual we'll hand over now to our Saints specialist Shane Ambrose what have you got for us this week Shane? Well John we'll, 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 we'll keep it brief this week so as you said today is the 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time for those of us praying the Psalter we're on week 2 Monday the 31st of August is the feast day of St. Aidan of Lindisfarne <clears throat> Irish monk associated and educated in, in Iona uh, but uh, he, when Oswald, the king of Northumbria, fled to Iona, uh, he invited Adrian to come to convert his people when he regained his throne. And so Aidan set up the famous monastery of Lindisfarne. He died in 651 AD. The 1st of September, card believe, folks, we are already down the door of the 1st of September, is the feast day of Blessed Columba of Mount Bras Castello. Uh, it's a saint associated uh, very much with born of the nobility. She was the da- a daughter of Pagleria in Italy and a sister of St. Bernard, uh, Bernard Valerio of Tomorrow. She died in 1116 in uh, Brascastello in Italy, I think is how you pronounced it. Uh, then on the 3rd of uh, September, we have the feast day of Blessed Margaret of Louvain. Born to a poor family, she wasn't working for her as a, as a maid for her aunt and uncle. Uh, the aunt and uncle decided to sell up the inn they had in Louvain, and they were going to enter religious life. Margaret was going to copy them. She was going to enter the Cistercians. And then the night before they were due to move out of the inn, they were all killed, tragically. So then on the 3rd of uh, September, we have the feast day of St. Gregory the Grace, Pope, Doctor of the Church. Pope died in 604 A.D., um, prefect of the city before becoming a monk, and then he established the passion for the papacy, uh, calling himself the servant of the servants of God. Famous, of course, for sending the missionaries to England in particular, um, to Canterbury. And he's a patron saint of musicians, of course, and is associated with the reform of chant, which gives us today Gregorian chant in the Catholic Church. 
uh, Friday, the 4th of September, for those observing the first Friday, it's your first Friday devotion, is the feast day of St. Magnissi. And he is a saint that tradition holds that Patrick baptized him and taught him the Psalms. And he's associated with the Diocese of Connor, Down and Connor. So that's St. Magnissi on the 4th of September. The 5th of September, for those observing the observe of the devotion, of course, is the first Saturday. And it is the feast day of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. So, of course, everyone is aware of that particular St. John. I don't think I need to go into it in too much detail. An Albanian woman, she was a nun, a missionary, a teacher in Calcutta, founded the Missionaries of Charity. And she died, it's hard to believe, she died in 1997. Uh, I always associate the death of Mother Teresa, I don't know about you, but I always associate it around the same time as Princess Diana. And I think it's, she's probably not too far off the same, around the same time as Princess Diana, I think. Mm. And Shane, because we're starting off the September, we have the Pope's intentions. Yes, so the Pope's intentions are uh, for the month of September is that universal prayer intention is respect for the planet's resources. Because, of course, this weekend, this, uh, the first weekend in September is also the weekend of the prayer for the creation Sorry, yes, the first, sorry, the first of September, which is Tuesday, is the World Day of Prayer for the Care of Creation. So September's um, prayer uh, intention from the Holy Father is that we pray that the planet's resources will not be plundered, but shared in a just and respectful manner, which, of course, is interesting because it ties in with his recent request at the Wednesday uh, general audience that the vaccine for COVID would be made available to poor countries and not just stockpiled by those that could afford it. So we'll have to wait and see what happens in relation to that. So that's what we have, John, in terms of the Celestial Guides and Liturgical Odds and Ends for this week. Thank you again, Shane. Now we'll now pray our spiritual communion prayer. And this, of course, is for those, most of us maybe, who cannot receive Jesus uh, in the sacrament of uh, communion these days because maybe afraid to get to Mass or maybe can't get to Mass. or But this is a prayer that we can invite Jesus and have Jesus come into our own hearts. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Now this morning, because um, most of our programme is taken up with an interview with Sister Bride Kunhan, um, a little uh, an assumption sister um, who spent many a year out in Brazil. Uh, we really don't have too much time, and uh, to that I'll ask Shane to pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired to your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this Word but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for that, Shane. A, a prayer that we always pray each each Sunday here before we read and reflect on the Word of God. And to help us out this morning, we're going to invite Lorraine to read the Gospel for us today. Please, Lorraine, for the 22nd Sunday. Thanks. Our Gospel this morning comes from Matthew 16, verses 21 to 27. 
Jesus began to make it clear to his disciples that he was destined to go to Jerusalem and suffer grievously at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, to be put to death and to be raised up on the third day. Then, taking him aside, Peter started to remonstrate with him. Heaven preserve you, Lord, he said. This must not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle in my path, because the way you think is not God's way, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to be a follower of mine, let him renounce himself and take up his cross and follow me. For anyone who wants to save his life will lose it, but anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it. What then will a man gain if he wins the whole world and ruins his life? Or what is a man to offer in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And when he does, he will reward each one according to his behaviour. So that's our Sunday gospel uh, for this Sunday, the 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. And it's a bit of a come down for Peter from last week, as we've seen before. Peter, who has been told last week, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, uh, because you received this direct revelation from God himself, that Jesus is the Son of God. And here we have him being called Satan. And I'd like to go back, actually, to the first reading, um, Jeremiah's reading, I always think of this one when I'm having a little trouble with Christianity as a whole. <laughs> um, because you start off in your prayer life, in your religious life, in your Christian life, and everything is wonderful. Everything is new. Everything is great. God is fantastic, which of course he is all the time. And then you hit a few bumps in the road. And Jeremiah captures it perfectly. He says, you have seduced me, Lord, and I have let myself be seduced. You have overpowered me. You were the stronger. And you can feel a little bit like that, especially during these COVID times. And especially if you're the, you know, the religious one in the family and, and people are saying to you or going to you, look, oh, what's going on here? Like, where is the plan in all this? Why is God allowing this to happen? And you might be saying those words of Jeremiah, Lord, listen, you got me into this mess. You seduced me. Okay. I was culpable too. I let myself be seduced, but where are we going in all of this? And I remember listening to a Father Mike Schmidt's video recently. Um, it's a long video, but towards the end of it, he said, I can give you four words, four words that will guarantee your joy in any situation, no matter what it is. And it's thy will be done. So I started to write that on everything because it's a little reminder that I need myself. Thy will be done. Um, Peter was rebuked because, he, not because, you know, he wanted to prevent Jesus from suffering, but because he wanted to prevent God's will being done. And even though we can't see the purpose of God's will, especially at the moment, perhaps, maybe you're, you're out there at home this morning and you're struggling to make ends meet, or maybe you're out there and you're worried about family members who might be sick, or you're worried in general. And you might just need to pray an act of faith this morning that A, God loves you and God loves all whom he created. How do we know that God loves us? Because we're here 
um, were created out of love and for love. And secondly, God has a plan for all of this, even though we can't see it. Um, so just to make a little act of faith this morning, thy will be done. And yes, that will very often involve the cross, which is, you know, something that is part of the Christian life. We can't get around that. But that even in the cross, he is there with us. So that's my thoughts for this morning, John. Lorraine, thank you so much indeed for that. It's lovely to hear your voice again. And thank you again for, for sharing those wonderful thoughts with us. Actually, Shane, sorry about this. We don't have any time for you this morning. We've just <laughs> ran out of time. John, absolutely <laughs> no problem. Sorry that. Right up against the clock. Uh, but again, thanks again, Lorraine, for to be, and to be with us again this morning. And I suppose it, it might be appropriate maybe to play. I'm just wondering what piece of music we're going to play. And I can't think the name of the singer straight away, but the one that comes to mind straight away, and I think we'll, we'll, we might go out with this one. It, it, it's one that maybe we can all take. It's entitled You Are Mine. A voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I will come to you in the silence. I will lift you from all your fears. You will hear my voice I claim you as my choice Be still and know I am here And do not be afraid For I am with you I have called you each by name and follow me and I will bring you home I love you and you are mine I am the hope for all Shadows of the night I will be your light Come and rest in me Do not be afraid For I am with you It is I who have called you each By name So today we're playing an interview that I recorded with Sister Bride Coonan of the Little Sisters of the Assumption, who shared with me her vocation story. This is part one of a long interview, and we'll broadcast part two next week. 
So I hope you enjoy this. So I'd like to um, welcome onto the program Sister Sister Bride Coonan, who's uh, with the Little Sisters of the Assumption, I believe, and I believe she's based in Cork. Good morning to you, Sister Bride. Good morning, John, and thank you very much for inviting me on your programme. Thank you very much indeed for coming on. And uh, actually, I got to know all about Sister Bride, or a little bit about Sister Bride, through Father Frank Dewey here from Newcastle West, who suggested that maybe I, I have a chat with Sister Bride. She, she's certainly worked in Limerick. She's, she's also been worked abroad too, but has an interesting little vocation story and also has some experiences working away from, uh, from this country. So this morning, Sister Bride, maybe there's two things we'll speak about. We'll speak about the vocation story and maybe some of your experience in the poorest part of the world. Maybe just to start off, maybe a little bit about your, fa- your, you know, your family background um, a few years ago at this stage now. <laughs> yes, a good few years ago, John. So I was born in Cork and uh, I am one of three children. Now, we were a very simple ordinary family Uh, we never had very much in those days but we got by Uh, i had one brother and one sister older than myself and then myself so growing up in cork i went to school locally first in ballinlock in the national school and then i did my secondary school studies in the presentation the south presentation convent and after that then when i did my leaving cert i went to the school of commerce which it was called in those days, and I did a year's secretarial course, which was in those days shorthand and typing. The computer had not yet been invented, or if it had, it hadn't arrived in Cork. So then when I was finished that year's course, I got a job in a business in Cork called Merville Ice Cream. So my job was to sit there in the office every day at my typewriter, And these vans were going in and out with the ice cream, delivering all over the place. And my job was to check the invoices and make sure that how much ice cream has gone out and how much money is coming in and all of that. So anyway, I was there doing that. And I found myself wondering to myself, you know, is this all there is? Because, you know, as a young person, you know, you study, you get into secondary school, you get your intercert, you go on, you get your leaving cert. And you're, you know, you're pushing all the time ahead after something, you know, then you do the secretarial course and you're going to have more skills and you're still striving for something. And then finally you land in your job. And gosh, it kind of isn't all that you were thinking it would be. And I suppose during that time, side by side with that, uh, in our secondary school, we had some marvelous presentation sisters and through them, I was, or some of our class were volunteers in a, a project in, in Cork for the disabled, for disabled children. And our class was responsible for running a little social club with these children. And I suppose that kind of gave me a bit of a taste for another type of life. You know, I saw the sisters there dedicating their lives to these children. And uh, I, I'm certain that all of that in my consciousness was, you know, making some inroads. And then as well as that, in my own parish, I was a member of the Legion of Mary. And in actual fact, it was through the Legion of Mary that I got to know the Little Sisters of the Assumption to begin with. Because 
have I saw them on television, but I had never met any of them until one day the local priest, Father Crowley, he brought this sister along to our Legion of Mary meeting. And I discovered that she was a social worker living in Blackpool and she was coming to talk to us about our work among the elderly, because as legionaries, we used to visit a lot of elderly people. So I was sitting there listening to her talking about all of this and telling us a bit about her own life. And I was thinking, my gosh, that is very interesting because many years previously, I had seen some program on television about the sisters in Limerick, but here I discovered that they were also in Cork. And, you know, that kind of gave me the inroad into meeting and going to visit their community and so getting involved with the community here in Blackpool now. Um, and when I got to know those sisters, then I used to go out with them on a Saturday. They would take me out into the local community, visiting the people that they were working with. And uh, this was all a kind of a big eye opener to me because I didn't really know that there was anything like that going on. And of course, this, I mean, this also took you away from that famous job in the ice cream place then to look at it invoices to give you something else to do with the weekend. Yeah, it kind of, uh, I sort of thought, gosh, I never realised that there were sisters doing this kind of work in the community because the only sisters I knew were in schools are in hospitals. The other thing then was you were now meeting sisters in a in an environment different to the school, whereas in the school it was a kind of a teacher, you had to obey them and so on and so forth. Now you're meeting sisters working out in the community, maybe being a little bit more than the, themselves, than in a formal that's setting. Exactly. And hmm. that's one of the things that I would always say that attracted me to the congregation was that these were very ordinary women moving around among the people, going into people's homes in a very simple, ordinary way of presence. And, uh, you know, I just thought, this is really, there's a lot to do with religion, and yet there is really not much mention of religion. Mm, It was like the gospel in action. And then I discovered that one of the things that the founder of the congregation, Father Stephen Perney, had said was that you preached by your life and your actions rather than by your words. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, he said, the street is your cloister. So this was all resonating with me. And this was reminding me of that program that I had seen on the television. Because a little bit before that, it was actually a program about Limerick. And it was focusing on the arrival of a group of sisters into the grounds of the St. Munchen's College a a few years previous to that. They came to live in a house in the grounds, which was empty. Mm -hmm. And they arrived and they were moving around in the city on motor scooters. Something That was very different, you Uh know. So I discovered that these sisters, they were very focused at that time on health. They were, several of them were nurses. And they were going out into the homes of the people, uh, people you would say nowadays that were very marginalised, 
people that were having very difficult life circumstances, as we would say nowadays, people who had been made poor or who were disadvantaged in any way. These sisters seemed to be friendly with all of these people and they were helping them in the area, especially of health, helping the families. So I saw there on the television that the people of Limerick really opened their arms to these sisters because the house that they were given was really a kind of an empty house that had been part of St. Munchen's College, but there was now nobody living in it for some time. And my goodness, there was a fantastic upsurge of involvement of people to help to set up that house, you know, to help to furnish the house. People brought all sorts of things from all sorts of places. And in a very short time, the sisters had and a very nice community house to live in. And that was in large, in large measure thanks to the people of Limerick. Now, just around that time, there was a very far-seeing bishop in Limerick called Bishop Murphy. And he was very, very interested in the situation of the poor of the city. And that is why he invited the congregation to come to Limerick to do this kind of community-based work you know, in the local community and helping the people to help themselves. So one of our sisters, Sister Quivine, she got very involved in work with Bishop Murphy, which led to the setting up of what is now called the Limerick Social Service Council, which was set up to, to have an outreach to the city of Limerick and also to the, the farther parts of the diocese. Sister Braid, when did you become involved with the, with, with the order, with the, with, the, with the Little Sisters? I saw it on the television in about 1964. And in 1965, I met the Sisters in Cork, which led to my, as I say, having to go to Dublin <laughs> to do the training, which we call the novitiate. Uh-huh. So that was a, a little bit off-putting because I said, Lord, if it's good, surely it's to be found here in Cork. Mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> but as it happened, as it happened, the visit was in Dublin. So at a certain time, I felt, you know, getting to know the sisters, I felt the time was right to pack my bags and give this a try. So my brother looked at me and he said, oh, God, he said, I don't know. I don't think you'd last two months in that. That wouldn't be for you at all. Uh-huh. Anyway, two months turned into 52 years and here we still are. Very good, very good. So you, 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 you completed your divisiate in Dublin and then what, what did, then did you return to Limerick? Yeah, no, no, I, I, did, I studied then. I did, well, I had a little bit of experience in the congregation, you know, at the, in those days you would be sent to different communities. So I was actually sent up to Belfast. Okay. So to me... A young, a young teenager going from Cork to Belfast, it might as well have been the foreign missions. <laughs> yes, yes. And in actual fact, John, I went to Belfast in August 1969. And I hasten to say, no connection with the outbreak of the Troubles. Okay. okay which okay. began that very same month, <laughs> because that was the beginning of the whole struggle of the civil rights. So... After my time in Belfast, then living there with the community and getting to know the work of the congregation, I came back to Dublin and I did the social science training in UCD. And it was from there then that 
uh, to my great joy, I was sent to Limerick, which was kind of my first love because I had seen the mission of the sisters in Limerick on the television those years previously. And tell me, um, Braid, the sisters that were based in Limerick then, were they native Irish or, or, or were these sisters from... They were, no, they were all Irish. They okay. were. They were all Irish. Um, they were sisters who had worked in different communities around Ireland. Mm-hmm. And then when Bishop Murphy invited us to make the foundation in Limerick, they were sent, like there was about four of them, to sent there to begin to start this kind of same mission of the, the congregation, which was the spreading of the kingdom of God among the people and with particular reference to people who are marginal. So they were all Irish, they were, and, and they all learned to drive a motorbike. <laughs> and that was the means of transport in those days, which was kind of a, a new thing for us even. I'd say that must have been a new thing for the people of Limerick to see nuns flying around the place on motorbikes. <laughs> I'd say it was, John, because you're talking about the 1960s where Ireland was a very different place. Yes. You know, it, it was a traditional place and the, the, the stereotype of the nuns was... You know, the sisters that were inside, um, mostly the sisters worked in schools and in hospitals. And uh, there was there were some there were some sisters always who had an outreach to the community, but it was not very well known in those days. And, uh, so then we kept, we came along and we kind of took this on uh, with each sister going to work in a different parish, all those parishes around the city of Limerick. And tell me, how were the sisters received amongst the people? We were received very well because the, sister, the people of Limerick, without them, we first of all couldn't have set up the house mm. because we really didn't, we didn't have the resources ourselves to kind of go away and buy a house or build a house and furnish a house. Mm. We didn't have those resources because, as you can appreciate from the kind of life that I have described to you, we lived for the first hundred years longer than the first hundred years, completely dependent on the providence of God. Mm-hmm. We actually had a rule that did not allow us to take money from any family in where we worked. We were not allowed to take money. So we really lived very basically, and we depended on the providence of God. So when we went to Limerick, the providence of God held true, and the people rallied round, and they gave fantastic help and really, really, really accepted us. Then in the local communities as well, the people were very appreciative of the service because many people who were sick at home, you know, you have to flash your mind away back now. This was before you had anything like public health nurse or anything like home help or anything like that. In fact, the work that we did in those days was very much what you would call home help work. It was going into the family and helping in the case particularly of sickness of the mother. And as the years evolved then, John, and you had the 1970 Health Act and the service, the state became much more involved in community services. One of the things we were asked to do as a congregation was to help to set up the, the state home health services because we had a lot of experience of doing it ourselves. And that's what we did then in the later years. Several sisters helped to set up home health services in different places. So when you arrived in Limerick, Sister Breeds, um, what sort of work were you involved with yourself personally? 
with myself personally, the first place, I, the first the first time I went to Limerick, I was living in Carbally and I was working with the Limerick Social Services. Uh, there, I was assigned the area of South Hill and I was to be the social worker there. Now, there were other orders too. You had the Blue Nuns, you had the Good Shepherd Nuns, uh, each working in a different parish in Limerick. And then when I went to South Hill, there was a, another social worker, a young woman named Joan O'Keefe, who came with me, and the two of us worked together in South Hill. So what did we do there? I suppose initially we had to kind of try and see what really were the needs of families. And I suppose this was a very different era, John, that, you know, you didn't have much of the state supports for families that you would mm -hmm. have nowadays. Mm -hmm. So we really found that, you know, there was great need for the kind of service of social work, the kind of presence there with people with difficult situations. So we worked at that level with individual families. And bit by bit then we saw that, you know, for example, families had a lot of small children and it was very difficult for the mother to even have the possibility of going out to work for a few hours to earn some money. So we got involved in the setting up of preschools where the children could come during the day and various other things that we did where we tried to get the local community working with us. And in my time in South Hill, we were very, very lucky because the clergy who were there at that time, they were very sensitive to the social needs of the people. The parish priest was Father Shinners, who is long since dead now. And then you had Father Marish O'Connor, who is still in the diocese, and Father uh, Enright, Liam Enright, who is also in the diocese. And together with the three of them, and the sister from the school, who was at that time Sister Concilio, a presentation sister, and myself and the social worker, we used to meet regularly as a team to look at what was happening in South Hill, to look at the needs of the families and to try to see where we should put our energies, where where was the most need for, for help with people. And all of that eventually led towards the setting up of a local community council in South Hill, where we were helping the people themselves to take more responsibility for all of these social needs, which they did through the development of the community association. And that led on then to other services eventually being uh, coming into the, social, the South Hill area. I can remember, God rest him, Frank Klusky, who was uh, oh, the oh, yeah. social welfare person mm -hmm. in those days. Yeah. We, we all filled into Father Shinner's car, a group of us, and we landed at Frank Klusky's door and we had a great conversation with him about the needs of the community. And when I say we all know, we, I mean the local people with the clergy, and the result of all that was that we got one of the first purpose-built preschools in Limerick. But that really was all thanks to the efforts of the people working along with us. But, but again, it's worth reminding us all that you're speaking about times when there was no social service, no formal social services. No, not in those early years, there wasn't. So before, before your sisters came into that area, these people were really... They really didn't have anywhere to turn, did they? Well, you had one of the things you had was called the home assistance officer. Okay. 
and that was that was a very complicated situation because mm. it was very discretionary service where it was all really dependent on um, the person who was administering it. You know, the, yes. the idea that people had rights to basic income levels or any of that, that really wasn't very much there in those days, the sense that what people's rights were. Yeah. It really was kind of, um, it was the old poor law continued, you know, that you had the deserving poor and the undeserving poor. And God help you if you fell into the category of the undeserving I'd imagine poor. imagine that. You could, for, you could forget it. So, so people must have been really delighted when, when this first preschool started. Well, it was a great help. It really was. And it was lovely because a lot of families with small children, you know, in those days, there really weren't, you know, people didn't have the possibility of putting their child into a creche and paying for it and going off to work. Those opportunities weren't there in those days. So in the preschool, then we used to work with the children, but then also we used to work with the mothers. And, you know, we had various activities going on, educational programs, because, you know, you had things like the rate of literacy would have been high because people would have left school early and mm. all of that kind of thing. And now what I'm describing about South Hill, is the other social workers were also doing in other areas of, of Limerick. You know, we weren't the only people doing this. And, you know, I, I was just thinking there when you were, I mean, these people really had a chance to come together as a community, maybe in a way that they weren't able to experience before. Now that they see these few little things happening, i.e. the preschool and a few more things, maybe, that, that they were getting a little bit of confidence in themselves to help, help themselves yes. a little bit more, maybe. Yes. And we had a very novel development in those days, um, John, <coughs> which was that the, the church that was built in South Hill during my time was actually a dual purpose building. It was a church and it was also able to be converted into a community centre because the one third of the church was the altar and the sanctuary and all of that and the seating. And then you had these uh, partitions that could be brought across and the other two-thirds of the church could be turned into a community hall for other community events. And that was hugely, that contributed hugely to the development of South Hill because people had a place to go, which was for religious services, but it was also for the community activities because there really were no community premises in those days. So that was very much due to the foresight of Bishop Murphy and Father Shinners, who was the priest at the time. So, as you say, that was the church in action. Absolutely. And I suppose that's what really um, resonated with me, that uh, this is really what our founder was talking about when he said, you know, you preach the sermon by your life, yes. by your action. And uh, that that really was, it was a marvellous time. And I think another part of the Old Testament which resonated with me very much was the story of Moses and the liberation of the people from Egypt. Mm -hmm. Story of the Exodus. Yes. As the sense grew in me that what I saw happening among the people in South Hill, where I saw people struggling to kind of work together, which wasn't always easy, and struggling to have a dignified life for their families and struggling to help their neighbours, I saw all of that 
as the same Spirit of God moving among the people, helping to free from injustice and oppression, just as centuries beforehand, the Old Testament writers told us that that same Spirit of God moved among the people when they were in slavery in Egypt and Moses was called to lead them out. So it kind of, that, that really uh, was a great source of nourishment for my faith because I really could see how God was faithful and how God was journeying with God's people. Now, the, the people mightn't always be, um, you know, very much um, connected with the practicing church. Uh, that would have probably been the minority because the majority were struggling to live and struggling to survive. Mm-hmm. But you had this other work of God going on in the people, the work of the Spirit of God, which was really something that was very powerful and very meaningful. And so you stayed in Limerick for what, 12 years, was it? Sister? I was eight years at that time. Eight years. And then later I went back and I was I went to live in Myros then and I spent another four years in Myros. And again, that was a very lovely time in my life. The same sort of work? Well, now, when, when I went to Myros, one of the things that was a little bit disconcerting was that all of the things that we saw happening in South Hill in the earlier years, we fed into the local authorities. And, you know, we made recommendations. When I say we now, I'm talking principally about the community association. Mm-hmm. We made recommendations about what was needed when the state, when the government was going to build these big housing projects. You know, what kind of infrastructure was needed in the community? Then we went over to Myros years later, and I suppose it was kind of sad to see that not a lot of that was implemented. You know, again, you had a lot of houses in a, the, the open areas were a bit better, but there really wasn't any infrastructure of community facilities. You know, the houses were built, the people were put into the houses, Mm. And so be it. Mm-hmm. So one of the very interesting works that we that I was involved in in, in Myros was where, again, through a local community association, we began to run these seminars where we invited each week a different public body. Okay. We'd invite like the corporation one week, the health board the next week, Shannon Development the next week, the VEC the next week. And the community was asking all of these agencies, you know, what are you doing? What are your plans for our community? Mm-hmm. Because these are the needs that we see. So that took a lot of <laughs> a lot of years. But happily, happily nowadays, they do have very good community facilities in Myros, which really we never got to achieve in South Hill in the in the previous times because they have good community services there now. There's a very multi, a very good multi-purpose community centre, which was built over many years by a kind of a partnership between all of those agencies with the local people. And, and there are various other services which developed out of that. So Myros did get much more uh, attention to the community needs than would have been the case in South Hill earlier. So that we're doing, what, 12, 12 years and... and, and... 12 years in total, was it, in Limerick? 12 years in total in Limerick. And uh, when I went, uh, when I left my Ross then, um, I went to a new place in, in Cork called Mahan. 
and then eventually I went to Brazil. Uh, we'll, sp- we'll speak about Brazil now in a few minutes, but I, I just want to go back again maybe to to your vocation to date now that you've told us. You know, you came from a job and you were sitting at the desk and you're wondering, is this what it's all about? And 10 or 12 years later, you've gone through this work in Limerick and some in Cork. And would you have thought entering a religious order before would have entailed the work you experienced in those 12 years. I think some people think of the work in, involved with a, and some religious orders are like this. Uh, it's just maybe in a cloistered environment they're praying all day long. In your environment, the work was varied. You, you prayed, but you worked. Would that be right? Both that's of them right. went together. That's right. And I think that's one of the, I suppose, the contributions of religious life in the church today it is showing, when I say religious life, I mean all the all the orders nowadays, they're very conscious that there was this split between people's faith and people's social reality. Mm-hmm. You know, traditionally there was a split. And I think that was one of the things, you know, you often found that people who were very committed to the church were mostly engaged in specifically religious things. And then people who were very involved in the social things in the community, like the Tenants Association, there were very often people who didn't go near the church at all. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you kind of had this split. And I suppose what we have come to realise much more now is that, like Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, that's a very strong inspiration for religious life because, and for my own vocation. Because, like, Jesus wasn't just talking about life after death. Mm. Jesus was talking about life in abundance Mm. for people in their daily lives. And Mm. I think that, to me, is a very strong motivation for people who enter religious life nowadays, that we feel that there is a great call to help people to have life in abundance. And that very often will mean um, tackling the social injustices in the society, it will often make you unpopular mm. with the status quo, the powers that be. But it is very much part of the role of religious nowadays to really take that seriously, that Jesus calls all his people to have life in abundance here as well as hereafter. So I think for, for vocation, I suppose that is a very strong motivation. Uh, I suppose uh, having been uh, been working in Ireland, uh, when I was 25 years in the congregation, John, eh, I had the opportunity to have a sabbatical year. That means a year eh, free of eh, commitments, work commitments particularly. And many people, when they have that opportunity, they choose to study. You know, they might do some some kind of study for that year. But I felt that what I would like was an experience. So I had, I mentioned earlier about this split between a, you know, religion and life. Hmm. And I had read things about the basic Christian communities in Latin America. And from what I had read, it seemed to me that there was a different kind of experience of church there, where this, this people's social needs and people's religious needs seemed to be all one. And it seemed to me that that experience was much more like 
the early Acts of the Apostles, where the apostles were looking after the needs of the community and also the prayer. That So I asked, when I had the opportunity for this the sabbatical year, I asked if I could visit South America. And that's what I did. Now, I didn't have much language, so I said, I'm going to have to go with English-speaking religious, because to go with our own sisters, I would be completely lost because I don't have Portuguese, I, don't, I didn't have Portuguese, I didn't have Spanish, I didn't have French. So I got involved with a congregation in America called the Marinal Sisters, who had many missions in South America. So I went with them and I spent three months with them in Chile and I spent three months with them in Mexico. And then when I was to find, for, towards the end of the time, it happened that in the providence of God, they weren't able to take me for the end part of my year. And providentially, I met with another congregation, an Irish group called the Medical Missionaries of Mary. So I ended up going to Brazil with the Medical Missionaries of Mary for the final part of my sabbatical year. Now, I remember very clearly, I traveled by bus from Chile over the Andes Mountains and down into San Paulo in Brazil. And that was a two day journey. And I can remember on that journey talking to God. And I was saying to God, you know, this has been a wonderful experience in Mexico and in Chile. But I said to the Lord, I don't somehow feel that there is anything that I have seen that really attracts me to the point where I could be part of it. And I said, Lord, if you want me to spend some part of my life in this part of the world, you're going to have to show me something in Brazil because that's the, that's the end of my year and yeah. I'll be back home after that. Yeah. I can remember very clearly those thoughts in my mind as the bus has gone over the Andes Mountains. Anyway, I got to Brazil and I got up to the northeast to the state of Bahia and I got to the medical missionaries community where I was going to spend the final three months. So there I was in a town uh, in called Capingrosso, which was a, mm, I suppose, it was sort of in the semi-desert, but not, not, not very semi-desert at that time. And I lived in a house in a newly developing area with two medical missionary sisters. Now, they were both nurses and they were doing work all over the parish, health promotion work, all of that kind of work all over the parish. So they were going out every day to all different places and they were very conscious that right here where they were living, there was a big housing development growing up that they hardly knew because they were out all day and then came back at night and off out again the next day. So I saw all of this. And when I was there, they said to me, could you ever see yourself here? Because we need somebody to come to work in this immediate neighborhood where we're living as, you know, work with the community. So, my gosh. That was a kind of a challenge to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, Lord, 
Maybe, maybe you're taking me at my word. He is. <laughs> yes. As God is, as God is very likely to do. As he does. Uh, as God does. Mm. So I kind of, I did feel something stirring in me that I hadn't felt up to that moment in my sabbatical journey through Latin America. So I talked to them and I made a commitment in my own heart. And I said to them as well that I would really, I would seriously look at this when I went home. So that's what I did. And I ended up going back to them the following year. And I spent five years with them in that town in Capingrosso. And I always say that was like my novitiate. I was trained by another order for the second half of my life for what I was going to be living in Brazil for the, the latter years. So I worked there in that neighborhood. Uh, you know, the work was not unlike what I was doing in South Hill in terms of the process, but naturally the needs were very different. Mm -hmm. The poverty was very much, the, the life was very much more basic. The people really lived very basically, very simply. And we did the same type of a process trying to help the people to come together to look at what they felt was needed. And out of that, the preschool, of course, came up as a big need. And then we got involved with the local government, trying to get them to support it and so on and so on. It was kind of the process was the same, even though the context was very different. But I suppose it, it felt very comfortable because it felt like something that I was familiar with, even though the culture and the language and all of that was very different. So I should have said, when I went back to join with the Medical Missionaries Project, eh, I had to go to school for three months to learn the language mm. because I had done a little bit of Spanish along the way for my other time in, in Mexico and in Chile, but it was Portuguese in Brazil. So the Spanish was not of great use. Yes, okay. So I did study the Spanish and then I spent five years there. Then... God became very active again in my life through ordinary circumstances. One day I was reading the newspaper and for, no, well, I got a letter from two sisters in Chile. They were the presentation order and they wanted to come and make a foundation in Brazil. So we will continue my interview with Sister Bride next week to see how God became active again in her life. My name is John Keeley. Thanks for listening. God bless now. So to finish the broadcast this morning, we'll play Sister Bright's uh, choice of music. It's I Dreamed a Dream by sung by Susan Boyle.